What's up, guys? Welcome to the Liquidicast. I'm Ron, and I'm joined here today by Thomas Euler and a very honored guest, Alex Mühl. He is the Director of Marketing and Digitalization at Borussia Dortmund. So, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to start this with a question, Alex. This is something that we don't really do too often on the, on the Liquidicast. It's a little bit different, but I think it'll be interesting. So your LinkedIn account says that you're super into books, that that's one of your top hobbies. So I want to ask you a, a question about books, okay? So if you can have one person write a biography about you, it can be either a, a, a normal biography or even like a fictional narrative where you are the main character, who would that person be? It can be an actor, an author, a, a director, a friend, a family member. Who would that person be? Well, that's a tough question. Um, and uh, I probably will answer straight away with a bias because uh, normally it's the, 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 the latest book I'm currently reading and really enjoying um, that uh, probably gives me inspiration for that. But I'd go with Don Wilson because I'm currently reading through one of his thrillers and he's such a great writer with a great suspense. I would just be curious whether he could turn my CV into something that is as intense as his books usually are but that would be a great challenge yeah would love to see the outcome okay cool i mean that's the beauty of biographies right like how much of it is real how much of it is uh slightly exaggerated you know make things yeah. seem seem cooler than they appear but yeah thanks for joining us alex i think um as i mentioned you are the director of marketing and digitalization at barista dorman which means a lot of your work and a lot of your expertise and perhaps your your experience has a lot to do with what we do at Liquidity Team, and it has a lot of parallels with what we're interested in, what we talk about. So I think, you know, the natural parallels there. We're super excited for this conversation. And I think a good place to start is probably your origin story. Just how, you know, a short, short intro of who you are, how you came to where you are. Yeah, sure. Thank you. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, really glad and um, I think we'll enjoy this session. So um, so the running joke that I normally bring if people ask me about my qualification for the job and the position I'm currently holding is that I got a really uh, solid two-sided uh, education that prepared me for this job. So the one thing is um, I'm from around town, so I grew up like 10 kilometers from Signal Iduna Park, and um, I've been on the, on the yellow wall on the Gelbe Wand um, back as a kid in the 90s so sort of like i get this this genuine fan socialization and qualification and the second one was that i have a track record of working i think 16 17 years in um, digital and marketing agencies so um and that i think the nice thing is to really cultivate both viewpoints and try to blend emulate that into my my day-to-day -day work but but career-wise, I I started as a as a humanities doing a humanities master in the nineties, and then studied in Sweden around ninety nine two thousand. So spent a year in Stockholm with the Erasmus program, mm. and um, that was of course at the hype of the dot com boom and um, Sweden being Sweden, they were pretty ahead and pretty adaptive when it came to new technologies. And then as an expat student in that I country. Speak yeah, at that Back time, then. 
and I, a public IMAX in the in the university library. Uh, when you compare that to IT infrastructure in Germany, mm. that was a difference. But it really sensed pretty quickly that this is some kind of medium. This is a space where I would love, really love to to uh, to work in. And that's then what I did. So I started um, after finishing university. I started um, at a digital agency in Hamburg as a UX designer. Back then, early two thousands, wireframes and PowerPoint. You know, that's what we had. Did, did and we then, then already call it UX? No, we, it was called online conceptioner. Okay, okay. And then trying to translate this Because with then online you would have been super early. <laughs> then you would have been super early to to UX. Yeah, absolutely. But no, no, it was really like, uh, but it was essentially what really that. It was uh, anticipating user flows, uh, crafting wireframes, doing digital sure. copywriting. Um, did that for a lot of uh, platforms. Uh, I relaunched MTV, uh, Burger King, um, just to name a few. And then stayed on the agency track, switched to uh, network agencies uh, around 10 years ago and worked in Dusseldorf for Havas and TBWA. And then really being the digital guy in more classical orientated advertising agencies and building mm -hmm. digital business, and digital teams. But, but so and you really were yeah. close to sports at this time. It's not like you were in like these sports marketing agencies or... Not really. We had, uh, in my first agency, we had a, a spin-off called Deep Blue Sports back in the days. And they did sponsorship activation for uh, brands that work with FC St. Pauli or the VfL Wolfsburg. So... And I was kind of like the, the digital guy for them. So we, shared, we were shared resources. So these were my first steps into sports marketing. But I really never had dedicated sports marketing clients, to be honest, um, until three years ago. I got that uh, call that started a conversation that then putting me essentially in, at, the, at the sweet spot uh, where I can really blend like personal passion and professional expertise and it really feels nice cool that's a great segue to to get a bit topical maybe because what what i would really love to hear from from your side is about the digital transformation in sports of course it's a big big topic that everybody oh, yeah. is talking about but it's also i guess comes with your role that that is pretty much what uh, one very important aspect of your current job at Borussia Dortmund. And, and given that it's a challenge that the entire industry is, is talking about, thinking about, and working on, quite, quite frankly, it, it's awesome to discuss a bit the ins and outs. And I, and I specifically think that the, the fact that you were on the agency side and more in the digital market and then went into sports adds an extra layer of perspective to it. But where I would like to start is... From from your current point of view, what would you describe as like the main challenges that you think sports, or you can even talk specifically about football clubs, need to tackle in the next three to five years, and and why? I think, wow, as you said, it's a wide space talking about digitalization in general. Um, I mean, the, I think the core challenges um, are defined. But uh, by my take on digital transformation in general, and I think um, everyone has its own take on it, but my perspective is that digital transformation means the need for organizations to adapt to change behavior and attitudes and expectations of their customers or their user base or their fans. Um, so I think 
that's at the core. You know, people use technical uh, digital technology and the way how they live their lives, how they consume what they love, how they find new interest changes through the use of digital technology. And um, so that would be my starting point. And then uh, driving from this, this also poses the, 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 the main challenge for, for, for football clubs or for sport in general. Because I think um, the, the, the attitudes and behaviors of fans have changed through uh, digital technology. I mean, this, the explosion of potential digital channels, the, the development of, of almost tribalism within the fan base. You know, there's a niche for everyone and every niche has its own space where it communicates with a certain jargon and specific memes. And the way one niche communicates is absolutely hated by another niche, you know. So bringing yeah. all that together, I think that adds an extra layer for football clubs in terms of communication, especially for big clubs, as for Dortmund, because we're so big that you really can't do the classic one message fits them all storytelling that clubs and organizations used to do. Maybe so, for a bit of so, context, yeah. not everybody might know how many people work at Borussia Dortmund. I mean, certainly everybody knows Borussia Dortmund, but yeah. what, what are we talking about in terms of organizational scale? No, I would say around about 800 people. All right. Um, you know, in sports, in, in marketing, in distribution, um, facility management, event and catering. It's really, yeah. that was the fascinating thing for me also when I changed you're getting into this 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 club essentially that is active in so many fields of of economic activity. Um, yeah. It's still absolutely fascinating. It's like so, a truly but, global yeah. brand, truly global brand, right? It is, and that, that, when we went to Asia in in, in in November December, that was that was one of the most fascinating things. You know, after Corona, after not being in the market for three years, and then you arrived at Singapore Airport. And you've got a huge crowd cheering to you. You have uh, a massive turnout at public trainings and training uh, matches. And and back to our point, this is, these are all people that mainly get the club, the brand, the way we are through digital channels because not everyone gets up 3 o'clock in the morning to watch like the Saturday 15.30 game. Um, and uh, that was really, again, um, simply for me, a big insight. How, how their expectations and the, the way how they keep track of what we do really differs from, from, from other segments of our fan base. Really interesting. What, what I love about your definition and, and the, the way you, you started answering this is that you, that you first start with the different environment that you're now operating in. And that is really driven by, by in the case of, of a club, by, by what do fans want and, but this also impacts how your organization really needs to needs to work, how it needs to operate. And and back in my consulting days, so in that sense, I guess we are we are quite similar because we now work uh, in in the sports or very akin to sports as an industry. But we have these these histories in different fields. And what I always uh, uh, found the most challenging for many organizations out there is really the part where it comes to overcoming like the, the organizational structures that you have on the inside that in many companies I worked with, again, not sports clubs specifically, um, but, but you are in a very functional organization, for instance, and, and then digitization works a bit differently, right? Your customers want to interact with you, but they don't really care what department it is. But so a lot of early websites were, were sorted like, like departments internally, and that obviously makes not a lot of sense, but, but you 
have to go through this through this learning process. And and then, as you mentioned, there is also so much so much upside in digitization just because you you have this huge potentially global audience minus a few countries maybe that that have huge firewalls but leaving leaving that aside it, it it's really for a company like a football club that lives from from the attention that they have such a huge opportunity but but i think going back to the in, initial question like the main few challenges that you are focused on what what do you think are those is it more on like the on the finding fans on the communication side do you think the the key challenges are more like in in on the data end or or, or what is like your strategy i don't know how deep you want to go about yours but yeah i can sketch out a few things because i think both examples that you just brought up are actually true because on the one hand side the opportunity, of course, lies in uh, winning new sympathizers and turning them into fans. Period. And that's 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 easier done through social media channels and digital communication because you have the opportunity to interact with these people on a daily basis. So, and I think that works out really well if you look at our, our English language channels, um, the Black Yellow channels. Um, that they're really successful, and. Um, on the other side, there's still this 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 general challenge, um, and I think that's that's a challenge that not only applies to um, football clubs, but almost to every organization or company that's active in social media, is that essentially all those leads and contacts that you're collecting there, they they're staying there on third-party platforms essentially, um, and we all know the issue with uh, the, the, uh, the organic reach and the ability to really activate that fan base and delivering messages to these, uh, these audiences on these third-party platforms because their business model is based on the fact that you, in the end, have to spend advertising money to really reach 100% of this audience. Yeah. So, um, so, that, so I think that is, that is one problem. So, um, and that's the narrative currently in the, in the communication, and it also applies to football clubs. That the question how you convert people from the contact on third party on third party platforms like the Meta uh, platforms or Twitter or YouTube, and then bring them over to your own ecosystem, to your own website, your own OTT offering, your own merchandise channels, and ideally then offer them an incentive to get a first party data whether it's a newsletter sign-up or even like the single sign-on, so you get the, uh, the complete data set. Um, I think that is really one big core challenge. Um, also because um, no one's found the magic formula. I think we, we definitely have an advantage. I mean, I'm coming from a, from a world where, please sense the irony. I mean, the people won't <laughs> be able to see my haircut, but uh, let me say I don't have that much flexibility in styling my hair. Um, so uh, I got a briefing from a shampoo brand, uh, essentially saying, hey, Alex, can you and your team please come up with a great activation concept to uh, win us over uh, a few fans that we have on social media to uh, create first party data and signups? So these were the kinds of briefing that I was used to. Uh, and that was for like a real true German FMCG giant. So normally all about reach, but yeah. even then they know that they need to gain consumer data and get uh, direct access to their to their customers. And we as a club are 
you have to say in the in the very comfortable situation i mean we have over 500,000 uh, people in our database right now which is correct uh, uh, that 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 across that line um that people are indeed willing to give us a data set because you know the question is why do i need to sign up with the shampoo brand yeah. but if you have the emotional t- attachment to a club you're more than willing of saying hey here's my email address i trust you please enlighten and enjoy me um so there is a huge opportunity. Nevertheless, for example, what, what we found is that it really actually struggled to convert international audience. Works a bit better with German audiences, but uh, with regards to international audiences, that is um, that is a challenge. So I'd say a third. Um, so the challenge would be how to get people from third-party platforms into uh, into first-party, uh, convert them into first-party data, and then link to that challenge is to really come up with let's say, smart loyalty schemes or designs that really help to tie international audiences closer to the club. Because in Germany, we have the, let's say, classic fan club structure that still works, although it, it's getting more and more complicated to, to, to win over younger fans into that really traditional way of, of fan engagement. Um, but internationally, of course, we have like 32 fan clubs in the United States. But um, I wouldn't say that, you know, the, the, the status as a fan club member will be the gold standard in the future simply because of changing user behavior. You know, yeah. the and it's, fan, it's fan experiences and fan expectancy have changed. Like, I mean, if, we, if, if listeners from Germany, they might know that there is like this, this really uh, rooted tradition of fan clubs over here in Germany. But I think, Ron, that doesn't really exist in the States, does it? I mean, you have in college sports, you have some kind of local association that is very strong with this, but you don't have this notion of of organized fan clubs. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, it's starting to spring up a little more, especially because football is kind of rising. So you have like fan clubs for like, for example, LAFC, the LA Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You started noticing that these fan clubs are starting to spring up. But I wanted to I want to quickly comment on what Alex said. Um, I think like sports kind of has like, like we keep saying fans, right? Like, oh, how to activate fans, fan engagement. I think like the like we forget that the the very nature of the word fan, like it's almost like a, it's a curse and it's it's a gift, right? Because sports are one of the few products. Let's just refer to sports as as a product as as business, right? You actually, you actually have fanatics. You have people who are so passionate about their teams that it doesn't even matter what the product is or how successful the product is. Like a Norwich fan is going to be a Norwich fan his entire life. But that's also like a curse because then you're dealing with a, a, a rabid, completely passionate uh, customer base. So like trying to satisfy their needs, it could be extremely difficult. And I think... There was like a question that I had for you, Alex, like maybe you had some good input on it. Um, and it's something I've heard before, like a core challenge that sports faces where it's your product, like you're you're only able to capture the attention of the fan. And it is good attention because you do capture it for the, enti- the entire allotment of the game, but you're limited to only getting their attention when there's an actual game going on. And a lot of like sports brands are having trouble kind of transforming their brands into like entertainment brands where they're basically approaching it. Like how do we maintain the attention of the fan, you know, three, six, five, seven days a week. How do we do it outside of outside of the stadium experience outside of when the actual sport is live? How do we like maintain their attention, maintain their, 
engagement? I don't know. Is that something that you guys are tackling or? I'd say you said a lot of smart things there because they, they really describe kind of like the, the, the transformative struggle we're in these days. Yeah. Um, because you referred, for example, to football as a, as a product. And in economic terms, you can look at it that way. Absolutely. Uh, because it's a commodity that's, you know, rights holders uh, uh, um, and, and people buying uh, to get the experience. I think with regards to the things that we're discussing or the question you asked, I think you need to widen that ankle and then look at football more as a cultural phenomenon um, and more as an identity provider. That's at least that would be my take on that. And that then translates into transactions as well, if you want to cover the product side. But essentially, I think it's, 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 it's one of the, of the few things that tie societies together, for example, in Germany, or where, where, where true community building um, happens. Yeah, I think now, well, the, real quick, Alex, yeah? sorry to interrupt sure. you. I, I think when I say product, I don't necessarily mean that, um, hey, this is what we're selling. We hope you buy it. But Thomas likes to refer to this a lot. We're like the attention economy where mm. the the product, the thing that you're selling yeah. is is entertainment and we're paying with our attention, with our eyeballs. So that's kind of more of what I meant. We're like, how do you how do you maintain yeah. where the product that you're selling, which is football, how do you how do you ensure that the fans willing to pay with their attention and with their time? Yeah. Point sorry, taken sorry and in, in that no, all good, because uh, in that in that viewpoint, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And um, I, I completely agree that it's a lot focused on match day. But the thing is, so there's there's two things that that, that help us um, tackling that tension normally. And I mean, you guys know it. Try to organize a meeting with all BBB stakeholders to talk through an activation uh, uh, during Champions League season, and then, and then try to find an appointment where everyone has time. So that yeah. that is really the challenge. I mean, giving giving match days every three days. It's um, you, you don't really fall into that trap because you have to do and you actually do constant storytelling around the match days. Yeah. And um, the, the, the great thing, and we, we, we really built some content production capabilities over the last years, BBBTV having internal content creators, dedicated social media people. Um, there is There are so many stories to tell around a team that consists of like uh, up to... 25 individuals and then there's the women's team and then there's the u23 and there's e-football activities then there is a lot of csr work where we actually also uh, offer another angle of identity building you know um, um so that uh, I, I don't think that we need to worry about our content calendar so there's enough engaging topics that we want to tell that we need to tell and that people really then then crave for I think from a from a club's viewpoint with regards to that challenge is, um, of course, you want to tell the stories where the fan is. That has always been the guideline of our, of our uh, social media engagement, for example. Let's monitor our fans and find those platforms where they're active. And then let's be there as Borussia Dortmund and give them stories and storytelling. But then really try to figure out how to uh, engage the people on these platforms to that amount that they're saying, okay, I want the deeper engagement. I want to tie myself much more to this identity offer or the stories that this club has. And then doing the conversion and bringing them over in your own ecosystem. 
because I mean, from this, then, yeah. I, I mean, this conversion and this step, I think it, it can't be emphasized enough how critical it is, right? Because like yeah. in currently, like if you would look at it a bit cynically and it's not completely true, obviously, because you have some ways to, to monetize reach on social, but but really, I think most sports clubs, and not only in football, that goes for the entire sports and, and even extension entertainment ecosystem, is like uh, producing and, and creating content on social media channels for free, being essentially a content supplier to these platforms who get all the eyeballs, all the attentions. And I mean, nobody would be on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok if there wouldn't be this content. But the, but the platforms, of course, don't don't produce it you do it and, and and that's all fine i think it's a very great business they have but but then <laughs> this attacks in the digital attention economy as ron uh, uh, alluded to before of course like, like we have a german saying it, it takes the butter of your slice of bread meaning to to those not uh, uh, not german in here li like they take what should be what should be yours and in the end that is true right the people are interested in in borussia dortmund in football in sports yeah to a certain degree because i mean to that point you have a point there definitely um and that was by the way the most interesting effect that i had when i joined because coming from the agency side i was talking even to like big reach and awareness oriented fmcg's players i was all i was doing was talking about mid and lower funnel solutions mm -hmm. you know so if you're if you're if you're in marketing discussions um people don't tend to talk about the big creative anymore or how can we reach xyz people so uh most brands are currently looking for okay how can we deepen our engagement with our customers and then getting a direct access to them yeah. now the the convention in sports marketing has been um just what you say create great and um, engaging content deliver it to b2c audiences to build up reach and then monetize that reach by collaborating with b2b partners in a sense of okay we can give you um visibility emotion and a positive connotation and don't get me wrong this still really works and is the main use case for sports marketing still and nevertheless so what's been on my agenda for the last two years was essentially to to still strengthen that inventory but at the same time then also offer additional inventory that offers more mid and lower funnel uh, solutions to our partners you know getting more targeted information um, um, creating new insights from our fan base and um, of course you can look look at the role of social media networks critically in a sense of hey we're putting the, the, the content for free on their platforms and they're monetizing it essentially. But at the same time, it is, of course, we would have never, I think we're roughly above 50 million followers worldwide yeah. across a numerous number of channels. And I, I don't even know the quality of the Chinese reporting these days. Yeah. Um, but free social, I, I know messy. where you're getting, like free social, you would never have gotten this reach and you get exactly. all this distribution for free, yeah. even though you're now algorithmically throttled. So, so yeah, of course, Absolutely. you can, and that's, we, why, that's never... why I said, that's why I said to yeah. a point, because of course you can monetize, like saying this, selling this, like 
advertising that that you put in in sponsored content formats and all this you can you can obviously right. do so you still earn money money from it and 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 yet i would i, I would believe that the platforms themselves are able of turning the attention you bring to them even more efficiently and maybe effectively than than you can do it and that is just by by the means of of platform ownership which as you as you say getting the, the, this conversion done I, I guess is really important for the, for the core business yeah. especially if and here I would be curious on your take what, what do you expect there in the in the next year so internationally especially in the US market like like broadcasting rights deals they have skyrocketed and and exploded and and is that something you also expect here in in Bund Bundesliga or do 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 you expect internally if you want if you can talk to this that that different revenue streams or a broader mix of revenue streams will be important in a few years um i think they will period i mean because um just because uh, you have a certain uh, revenue stream from from distributing media rights doesn't mean you stop exploring new forms of revenue streams so that's 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 um that's basic economic uh, that's a basic economic approach sure. now to see how you can broaden your revenue so so we're always of course um trying to um experiment and innovate on these topics and um but just with the, what you said about the, the platform, you're absolutely right. My point would be just that it's not either or. I mean, we, we yeah. still want to preserve that reach on these platforms. Um, we have to. Uh, while, while having to, to convert as many people as follows. And it might be even the bitter truth. We don't know, but we're, we're working on it to uh, try to find out that the, the, let's say the loose connection to clubs via a social media channel, especially in international uh, uh, surroundings, might be enough for a few people. You know, you also have the, especially in the US, probably the second club phenomenon, you know, people picking a favorite club in the English league, the Italian league, the French league, and so on. And um, getting then these loose contacts converted is an extra challenge. In Germany, of course, you have a higher loyalty and that's where conversion is, is then much easier. But... Um, Again, and turning back to the to the main challenges, in the end, it really breaks down to what I said: uh, how can um, an efficient loyalty program look like for those people who are really saying, "Okay, I want to convert, I want to stay closer to the clubs, I want to get rewarded for my activities," and um, we're constantly trying out mechanisms around that and trying to empower AT infrastructure to deliver just that. Alex, real quick, I think. I think the marketing adept people listening to this are probably following no problem, but I think there's one thing um, that I think it'd be good if you gave a little bit of clarity on. You mentioned top funnel, bottom funnel, middle funnel. Can you kind yeah. of, can you kind of explain and, and just real quick, like me and Thomas, you know, we're proponents of the, of the whole idea of having your own platform, but you know, we also do understand and we agree wholeheartedly that that is a bottom funnel mechanism. That is something that should just be like a welcome addition. Can you kind of explain what that means when it comes to like bottom, middle? Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, and really quick, it's just in the end, it's uh, uh, 
marketing models that you really use to uh, structure and analyze the way how you as a company try to communicate and essentially sell to your customers. And upper funnel means uh, if you imagine a funnel drilling down and then the bottom of the funnel is actually someone buying a product. And then you start, okay, how do I get someone to the bottom of that funnel? And it normally starts at the top where the funnel is really broad and a lot of people are getting the attention of the uh, marketing message. So that would be what I just said. It's important to reach as many people as possible with your messaging to get them into the funnel. Then mid-funnel, you're having um, um, the situation where you say, okay, let's aim to get the potential customer engaged, get, uh, show him a message where he reacts and shows his interest, you know, clicking on a, uh, on a, on a banner ad, uh, following a link, reading an article on a landing page, reading a review Going further on, on down Amazon the on the product. Exactly. And then once you, and there's technologies that allow you to, to really measure who, what kind of customer is at what phase of the funnel. Um, and uh, then of course the aim is, okay, how you push someone who has left a clear data signal of, okay, I'm interested in that portal, uh, in that product. How do you push him or her to the actual conversion, the purchase of the product. And that would be then the lower funnel, bottom funnel. And, and, and your, um, your, your takeaway was kind of that in, currently with sports advertising and sports marketing, that top funnel is really important. Exactly. So really sports important. marketing is mostly used for top funnel communication to give yeah. brands and stories visibility among sports fans. Uh, because of the attention that the communication of a football club really gets. I think the potential is that um, we, we, we can create an inventory for our partners to say, hey, we can deliver your message also to people who have raised their hand or are really close to the club because they are already registered with our club. And we know a thing or two about them. So we probably might know whether he or she would be interested in doing a test drive for a Zidane or an SUV. Uh, and then can craft a specific sponsorship message within our own ecosystem on our own channels. Hence, you know, the, the, the business needs, so to say, to bring people on our own platforms to deliver exactly those mechanisms. And, and I think, not to be clear, like this top funnel is, if you can provide it, it is increasingly valuable Just yeah. because like audiences are eroding. I, I said these broadcasting rights deals for sports globally are, are, or have been exploding over the last decade or so because while we know phenomenons like cord cutting, obviously a lot of big mass media reach has eroded. There are much yeah. more things that people... Uh, give their attention to to stay to stay on this and sports is one of the few things just because live sports is really the most interesting life even though I, i'm for instance an on-demand watcher but that's a different topic but like live sports still captures these these huge live audiences relative to most other things that for instance are on tv tv used to have all the reach now nobody watches tv anymore in a certain generation, of course, there are still uh, other people around who watch linear TV, but it's getting less and less. Long, long story short, if you can provide it and have these audiences, it's super valuable. That is why we have trends like influencer marketing and so on. And of course, sports in general is very well situated to play to play a role in this. But, but, but what I wonder about, 
like like football to me is like in, in this sports game a bit like the incumbent right because you have been there and football grew in the mass media age that is when it really exploded when it, the game grew to to the scale we we are at today and and now I'm interested in the future because I know I follow some sports that are more niche, like cycling, for instance. They really use digital to grow audiences that, that they didn't have before, but you are not starting from, from a small niche sport point, but you are from the mass media era and, and football was used to these massive audiences. And I think like to provide th this top funnel and maintain these audiences, I don't even know if it is possible to maintain the same sizes, but but even still be relevant to a large number of people on this new uh, set of channels, I guess is strategically super, super important. And of course, all of you football uh, uh, clubs have built a infrastructure on, on social. But, but I, I believe you increasingly have to think about yourselves really as like, like content companies. And I believe some people in the industry believe this as well. I don't know if everybody does. What's what's your take on this? I think I'm not. I can't speak for everybody, but I think that the whole topic of content creation and communication is really these days um, at the core of of Borussia Dortmund's organization as well. So because we're putting massive resources into content creation and deliverance, and um, so I'd I'd follow your route absolutely there. And I think. Um, with regards to maintaining the reach, you're right. We're coming out of the age of mass media. And that's also the growth story of football over the last 10 and 15 years with essentially uh, in, uh, uh, media income really, really going through the roof. Um, but we have to be aware um, because what we really see is um, the, a few challenges coming up. I mean, changed media consumption behavior by younger audiences. Um, the the Attention the twist stands. in the fan journey. I, I mean, just I mean, just the fact that um, that um, a lot of young, really young people um, come into football or an interest for football through playing FIFA, where they're playing foot and creating their own individual teams based on star players that they buy within the game from different clubs. I mean, th that whole thing that, that younger people tend to follow star players rather than clubs, you know? I mean, I was born into being black and yellow, or at least grew up to be black and yellow. And I'm not sure whether that is the case anymore, as linear as it was back in the 90s when I was that age. Yeah. Um, so we're really seeing a challenge with young audiences. We're also seeing really a challenge with um, keeping... And that's, that is really a brand topic. So it's not in my digitalization wing, but in my branding uh, and marketing uh, discussions that I'm having, we're talking a lot about how we can, how we need to position the brand uh, Borussia Dortmund so that it stays relevant for younger audiences culturally, beyond yeah. the, 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 culturally, exactly. I just said cultural phenomenon, uh, culturally beyond the, 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 the action on, on the, on the pitch. I mean, that, that will always be at the center and, you know, and sporting momentum will give you always an extra boost. Yeah. But I also view it as my role to make sure that we stay relevant as a focal point for attention and cultural interest, uh, even if we don't win nine matches in a row. I prefer, of course, to have both. But, sure. You know, and, yeah, and I mean, there my, are examples. Like, 
there are examples, sorry to bring up a, a extended competitor, I mean, they are second league, but, but uh, St. Pauli is, is a great example of how you can have this relevancy, even though you don't have the sports success coming with it, but they are probably in the top five of, of known German football clubs internationally, even though they play in the second league, just because they have this, this type of strong identity. And I think Borussia Dortmund, of course, is also very, very good at this. And that is, and that I think gives you gives you an advantage there. But I but I also see like talking talking with, with many in football, it like there is this concept of the innovators dilemma, right? That you like if you are a, a really big company and some new and innovative thing happens, it's very small, and you have this big business and this big this big audience and customer base, and so you you make the good decision to cater to this uh, customer base, but then new companies can grow in these niches and, and outperform, and I think that is, for, for football specifically, one of the things that, that that really is a challenge, because you have like all these, all these fans that have been around since 15, 20 years and longer, and they probably have very different needs and ideas about what football should be, how a club should be, than younger upcoming generations, and now you have to cater to these different segments, and that is not not super easy and it's not straightforward what the right answer is in this in this spot, but like you say, you have to try to to still yeah, get this done some somehow. Mm. Absolutely. And it's, it's really, I think the, the most important thing is to not fall back into, into uh, a too defensive way of like, okay, we can't change anything. So that's not the way. I mean, and, and sometimes we're like, you know, there's other clubs out there who just jump on every trend and innovation engine. Let's try out. Um, and we really try to do this a bit more uh focused in the sense of that we're, we're having huge internal discussions and we have an intensive exchange with our with our fan base so topics like our e-football team you know um the question of playing vbl or not we've we've really discussed this with our fans and then um also really got pushback um on specific topics um but we still maintain that very constructive dialogue because what we essentially do and I'm, I'm a complete advocate of this, being a UX designer. In the end, it's user research, if you want to put it yeah. into, into technical phrase. I mean, the need to really understand the, the, the interests and the needs of your, of your fan base is really the core to innovate. And uh, um, which is, again, another argument for creating first-party data, because then you can measure user behavior and see, okay, that article is relevant yeah. to them, that article is relevant to them, and that article is relevant to no one. Let's stop doing it, you know. And um, so I think that is the only that is the only way forward. Um, and the challenge is even bigger for us, simply because we have so much reach. And my 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 best example is, I mean, you know, maybe you know the story of the BBB women's team. You know, we started at Kreisliga, lowest division in Germany, yeah. and we'll work our way up year by year up to the women's Bundesliga. We could have done it differently by like taking over another team and rebranded black and yellow. We decided not to after we asked the fans, by the way. Yeah. But here's my point. If, you, if you're watching this, this live stream of a women's BVB team on our Twitch channel, you're surrounded by this young, um, let's say, empowering community, really open, really interesting. They just love the fact that one of the players of our women's team is also a Twitch streamer at us at, and works in my CRM team, which mm -hmm. is also nice. 
If you watch that same game on YouTube and go into the comment section, you really see a very, very different mindset with regards to women's football as such. And uh, I, I prefer the totality of the Twitch stream, but the other segment, they're also fans of Borussia Dortmund and uh, united in their love for our club, so we have to take them seriously as well, not follow them straight away, um, because I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't follow uh, a sexist advice on, on women's sport, but nevertheless, we have to take their mindsets into consideration when and, um, uh, when and yeah, what exactly we do communicate. They are still a stakeholder of, of Borussia Dortmund. So, so there, there is a like talking about digital transformation and going back to what you initially explained about your about your history. I think what would be really interesting to understand is you came to Borussia Dortmund from an like outside perspective, not having been mm -hmm. in the sports business, and and now you are there for more than a year, right? M maybe even two years. I it's two years in May. Two years in May. Okay. So so when you came in what did you expect to see as the as the main challenges but now you look at them differently so what has changed in your perspective coming from the outside and now being in there almost two years i would have um i mean because i just had the fans and outsides perspective of the of the club I would have expected to uh, have way more integrated cross-teams workflows across mm -hmm. the club with regards to the different, what's Fachbereiche in German, you know? So the different, the different teams. Departments, so yeah. Departments, yeah, true. And, um, and uh, that wasn't as much the case as I expected, you know, the, the, uh, for example, the first thing that I said when, when I started, um, uh, when I took the marketing role was saying, can we please stop to differentiate between sales campaigns and brand campaigns? Because that makes no sense at all. Every brand campaign has to sell something in the end. And every sales campaign has to carry the spirit of the brand to, to make it all work. And the, you know, um, so there really was, and I think that is a uh, that is a structural challenge in football clubs because they grew so fast over the last years, and uh, the digitalization was so disruptive that the, the 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 operating the internal operating system of the clubs often didn't uh, didn't uh, catch on, you know. Also because yeah, my running gag is football clubs are the most agile uh, organizations in the world because essentially we work in three day sprints from match day to match day. And that's also really important to understand what's on the, the pitch rules, you know? The match day is the fixture where all the energy of the club is focused on. And that um, makes it really hard to take a step back and look, okay, how do we operate this thing, given that we have certain technological um, um, circumstances yeah. changing? <clears throat> and I think that's, that's where we... And I think that's... That's where I added some value, <clears throat> bringing in the external perspective and uh, and uh, trying to steer things up. And um, I also uh, was really met with great openness to do so, simply because a lot of people felt, okay, and, and, and this is too rocky sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I said, hey, let, let's make it that way. That, that that will make it easier. And I think we're making great progress on that. But it is still complicated because the, the, the playing field in comms and in digital marketing and all the aspects that are touched by digitalization 
are so many that it's um, it's yeah. Yeah, basically the entire, the entire, yeah, the entire organization very often. And I think, like I said earlier, back in my consulting days, like I at some point really learned a lot about uh, organization and because that is really a critical part to transformation. You have to, you have to change your organization if like the, the, things your customers want and the things that you have to deliver to your customers change then the way how you get this done also needs to change and and therefore uh, do you do you very often have to adapt your your organization so good on you that you're in on doing this and and getting it done and yeah it's not it's it's not a project that is usually done in a few in a few weeks so i can feel you on on this one so let's let's change gears a bit or let's go a bit deeper depending on how you want to look at it but of course, the, the way where we also work together or the field is Web3, which I think when you joined Borussia Dortmund, it was one of the biggest, biggest hype topics mm. in in sports, in sports marketing, uh, in particular, the angle of, of NFTs. And this has changed the market situation now is completely different right now. If you If you want to use like the slang of this world, we are currently... In a in a uh, uh, in a bear market, but so to me, to me, the question is: well, How do you look at this field? Do you think it was a a fat that is going to to leave, or what is the substance in all this hype of Web three? I think Web three has substance. To put it. First, simply because I do believe in the in the possibilities that um, the blockchain offers um, from its core principle and the idea behind it. Um, I think no one has really been smart enough right now to to get that that golden use case um, um, that makes the thing really go mainstream. Um, I think that's the core challenge, and I think a lot of the hype that we saw last year was fueled by. Um, this essentially trying out to create a use case that hopefully will get mainstream audiences on the Web3 track. So, but at the core, I think it's solid because it offers a solution for existing problems. You know, and it's as easy as you know. If you, the easiest example that normally everyone gets is um, if you buy a ticket at Borussia Dortmund. You currently do get an email with, of course, a wallet that you can put in your in your, in your uh, iPhone, uh, an e-ticket that you can put in your iPhone world, but you also get a PDF that you could print out. Now, if you send that PDF to 20 of your friends, who has the valid ticket? In the end, it's the one who's at the gates first. first yeah. I think there are smarter ways to do it. And that's just like the, the most easy to get example of why... Uh, documenting ownership over digital uh, ownership, sorry, <laughs> over digital goods is a true use case. Um, a lot of other Web three mechanisms that have been pitched or have been around. To be honest, I think they're 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 solutions looking for problems, but there are problems out there that can be solved by by Web three mechanisms. We touched on one, the whole loyalty thing. I think it's 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 definitely something um, that that can be addressed through Web three uh, technologies. I think the main challenge is to get Web three access as user friendly as 
possible because I think really right now it's um, it's an early adopters thing. Um, and uh, to be honest, maybe I'm growing old. That might be the case. Uh, but even I think it's really complicated to get into the do's and don'ts of that crypto world and uh, the, 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 the inherent lack of trust simply because there's no many bra known brands, you know, even big brands that you think you could trust collapse. Um, so I think the, 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 the way forward is to do Web3 things without branding them necessarily Web3, but then really focus on the added yeah. value that the technology delivers in terms of user experience and making Alex. it as easy as possible to access. I was just about to say, like, as you were saying that, I think um, your response is, uh, it reminds me that like most, uh, we, we didn't even really define what Web3 is because I think it's like different to everyone, right? So like um, you addressed like all the, all the issues with blockchain. I think all of it is fair. I think all of it is super accurate. But to me, like when I think about Web3, like the next iteration of the web, I think like decentralization, as fundamental as I can make it, it's just decentralization. That can be through blockchain. That can also just be through maybe Twitter implementing an advertising mechanism where everyone can partake on the revenue that it that Twitter ge generates. To me, that's a Web3 implementation. That's a Web3 mm -hmm. mechanism. And I think like with blockchain, like all the issues that, that you could say about blockchain, you can apply to just the concept of decentralization in general whether it's government, whether it's companies, whether it's friend groups, as soon as you decentralize decisions or decentralize, decentralize anything, you have to assume or hope that all of the participants act in good faith and Absolutely. actually actually act in adeptness too. Like are, are the participants adept enough to have decision-making in Borussia Dortmund or in whatever brand? If any brand gives decision-making or participation uh, governance to its to its uh, to its fans. I mean, it, it's a big risk. It's a big big risk scene if they're going to make the right decisions. And I think, like, j just to echo kind of what you said, like, it's tough. And a lot of there's a lot of bad actors coming into the field. But I think that when you see bad actors go to a to a place, it probably means that there's something there. There's some value. There's some attention. There's some something there that scammers and bad actors will come and try to take advantage of. I think I think the point that I would I, I would most definitely want to want to double down on Alex is the the last sentence that you said. Look, let's probably not even talk about Web three, and and I couldn't agree more because yeah. the fan doesn't care. And you said, well, the onboarding uh, of users to this is so no fan cares and shouldn't care. And I think the wrong mindset to take if you if you go about this is to say, hey. How can we how can we get the people onto Web3? Because nobody wants to be there. But it just needs to be the things that, that are there on the web or mostly today on the phone for a certain generation. People don't even know that apps use the internet sometimes, right? They just use apps. So so for, to, to work for, for this type of user, it needs to be it needs to be super simple. You just need to use it. And, and what is under the hood, frankly, most people don't care and should not have to care. That would be yeah. that would be my take. And and that is that's the, like the, carrying. It's kind of like carrying what programming language Twitter is written in. Yeah. Like yeah. Gives a shit, yeah. You know. 
and and I think here here probably let's look a bit at the stuff that we do do together because I think it it is quite an interesting and and frankly in my obviously biased mind it is a very good example of of actually achieving this so so what we do together you already mentioned the the black yellow app that you that you do that is based on unify our our content and community management system that is web3 ready indeed and uses these mechanisms but but they are mechanisms to to achieve a, a greater good namely a, a cool user experience that is how i would put what what the unify part of the equation is but but not everybody who listens to the liquidity cast might know the black yellow app so so alex how how do you describe what you do with the black yellow app to somebody who doesn't know it let me try and i'm biased as well but sure. uh, for a reason i mean uh, and that's the uh, the usual disclaimer no what we what we're doing with the black yellow is um just as i said the, the, the key challenge that we we face in digitalization is how we convert people from the contents that we have in third party platforms over to a platform where we have an ownership over the data and control and can offer added values to fans that we can't offer on um, these uh, platforms like Instagram or Twitter. Hence, the Black Yellow, which does exactly that. So it serves as a landing page for deepened content that we activate through our Black Yellow um, uh, channels. But it also covers, it's a content-fueled app, so it's, it's driven by an English-language newsfeed where, we, where we're posting dedicated English-language content for all those fans who want deeper information than what we can share on social media. Um, but what we really focus in there is um, fan engagement. And to make fan engagement to a certain degree playful and um, add a few options for fans to interact, um, we have, of course, as you said, Web3 technology under the hood, but mostly without the fan actually noticing that he or she is using Web3 technology, which is what I like about your solution. I mean, you register, you get your wallet created, and then you can start. Um, and so we use essentially two, two, um, two, two Web3 mechanisms in there. Once we have fan tokens that we don't sell, but we reward users based on their user engagement with tokens that they can use to upvote, aka boost content, or that they can swap in for other digital assets whenever we have a, a similar uh, activation, like Ask Me Anythings or fan voting and stuff like that. And then we do have, and I'm saying the dirty word right now, we're having NFTs in that app. We call them stickers or moments if it's video-based, um, which is essentially collectibles that we hand out um, as a reward for participating in a man of the match voting, for showing up at a place. So we had the, the, the tryout um, um, for, uh, at the Asia Tour where we handed out flyers in the stadium uh, in Malaysia and in Singapore and in Vietnam. People could scan a QR code and then got a, 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 a collectible, a drop, uh, sorry, a sticker dropped into the app that served as a reminder, hey, I was there. And that was, of course, super limited because you could only get it if you were in that stadium if at you that were time. There. So, so exactly. proof, proof and, of attendance, some people would call it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, But then also through that opening a direct channel to the people who were there. So whenever we had some kind of exclusive content that we would only want to deliver to this specific subset of fans, we can do it via that Web3 mechanism 
again, without the user actually noting it, he just gets a notification, hey, here's an exclusive piece of content. So that's roughly the story behind the, the, the black and yellow app. And what so, we then really so, see is that So to play a bit devil's yeah. advocate or, or ask, and, and I'm indeed curious because that's not a number we, we uh, d discuss every day among the two of us. So how many support tickets do you get of people asking you, hey, how, does these, how do these tokens, how do these stickers work? Um, I think actually close to zero. That's so what we I had would have hoped. Absolutely, no, no, it, it's it's true. I mean, we 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 too we wrote a really good FAQ section in the app, of course. <laughs> no, but uh, so the thing I'm going to cut out had... the part. I'm going to cut out the part you said close to <laughs> zero. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> I haven't double checked, but normally, if there would be a, a, a service case, uh, it would normally end up on my desk because I'm in close contact with you guys and could answer it. Um, but it's but it's uh, it's true. We had we had quite some controversy when we launched the thing, simply because, and that's a good example about stakeholder management when in terms of innovation, because uh, uh, simply introducing that kind of mechanism sparked initial fears of you know of taking away participative rights from fans that are um, executed through the traditional way of fan participation and then transferring and monetizing that through via uh, a token app. But, um, but you never intended to do this, right? I mean, it was before exactly. your time, but it was never the plan. And no, 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 yeah. that wasn't the idea behind it. But, you know, it's, it, it, as it sometimes is with specific audiences, um, the worst case scenario was initially in their head. But, I mean, that, that I mean, that we, is we basically that. like change management 101. You will always have, like, like if new stuff happens, there will always be fear and you need to, you need to deal with it. But, but nowadays, nowadays, do, do you get any kind of pushback against using no, this from, from not users? At all. So, no, no, that, that, that's been done also because we have been in close contact. And I think we have quite a decent number of German fans as well in our international fan app who like to play around with these kind of mechanisms as well. So, so as you already alluded to, like when it comes to the to the black yellow app, that that is, I guess, one of your important channels for the international audience. Then you also mostly refrain from doing anything where you sell directly to to consumers to your fans. Um, but but how do you think about monetization in Web three? What what? Is your philosophy at Borussia Dortmund and also looking at the market more, more broadly? What do you think have the last two years or so shown as what, what are no-goes and what are the interesting the interesting opportunities to, to actually also as an organization benefit from being using this technology? Well, I take a very Borussia Dortmund-centric viewpoint on that because I think I'll start with the no-go. And I think the no-go would be to strip away participative rights that are already in the hands of fans and then putting that into, uh, behind a paywall, um, which is to a certain degree. So we would never do uh, uh, mechanisms that you sometimes see of socios. You know, you, yeah. you pay to vote the entry music. Or, it's, uh, it's not or gonna, to make a design decision. That, that. It won't happen, Alex. I, I think European football yeah. or European sports, like it's too grassroots. That that's too American. Exactly. Like the Super League is an example of that. That yeah. that won't fly here. 
So I think these are really these are really the no goes um, in terms of um, uh, Web three monetization. The approach that we have, so th that's the big no go that we'd never try out. But we are pretty much observing other mechanisms and looking what works and what doesn't work. So we were quite defensive through the hype. So we didn't do something like Liverpool did with with. Uh, uh, with uh, selling uh, like this huge uh, drop of collectibles. Um, we were really cautious um, when it came to that, simply because we also didn't want to essentially feed speculation because at that time, a lot of the market movement was driven by speculation and we were kind of reluctant to use our our brand assets to, to be part of that uh, speculative good on, hype. Good on you, I would say. I think so too, but yeah. thanks for saying that as well. Um, and um, so, um, I, what we it, what we did was, of course, using the Black Yellow app as a test and learn field. What kind of activations uh, would uh, spark the user engagement? And then, the, and the other thing that we did is through selective partnerships um, that were also timed to a certain degree driven by by, by league rights. Um, then uh, activate within existing communities that are Web3 driven, where you have a clear use case, either collectibles like Tops or, uh, or a game like Soraya, and then say, okay, we can, we can give you additional rights so that the users in that community can have a better BBB experience. And, but we were really defensively um, with regards to direct monetization of Web3, for example, through collectibles and stuff. Um, but essentially, we're open to it. We're just looking for the right use case um, where we really can be sure that we deliver, as I said, an added value to our fans. Where, where can we enhance the fan experience so that uh, the fan is really saying, okay, this is an added value for me. I might be willing to spend some money on that. Um, and then uh, we'd be completely open for that. One thing that you that you interestingly didn't touch upon, and and from a few discussions that that we had in the past, you you might be aware that we are quite bullish on this and building building this year's some some more stuff on this end is actually like bringing. We talked a lot about sponsorship and the importance of partners, and of course, like sports really is an ecosystem. You have the clubs, you have the other infrastructure of the sport, but you also have the brands. You you have media, and I think yeah. something where where really Web3 technology can add a lot of value is when it comes to interoperability within ecosystems um, and and to, to have a common shared uh, uh, understanding of the world in abstract, using abstract terminology a bit, uh, in such a network, such an ecosystem. And I think here sponsorship is a great, great opportunity to use Web3 and collectibles and unique experiences because in the end, the definition, if you would look for one, is like we have a web of, of scarcity, of uniqueness um, and, and these are, I think, very interesting design mechanisms when it comes to creating user experience, especially for fans, right? I mean, the stuff that you do like like every, every man of the match uh, you hand voting that you do in the black yellow app yeah. and as an avid user of this of course i try to vote but you only i think give out like 200 or so of these stickers yeah, right. and i don't get all of these and some look super dope and i just want to have them and i see people asking ah shit i didn't get a sticker how do i get it but then they are just too late so so that that is really interesting and just one little example how you how you can actually use this and i think what we will see in sports specifically going going forward is 
brands being very interested in, in using these mechanisms together with the clubs. And just imagine a case where you can say, okay, uh, we, have a, we have a fan and they have they went to the stadium at the Asia tour and now I'm able to identify this fan, but also a partner in Asia can, for instance, give a, give a discount to have a simple example at the point of sale in the store if they go there or some of these other tools. And I think these are the kind of experiences and then in extension also monetization strategies that we will be seeing a lot more of in, in 23 and that frankly we try to, to build great toolkit for us. So, so that companies like yours can can use it. Do you have do you have a take on on this angle? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and first, that is so obvious that I didn't mention it probably uh, <laughs> uh, when talking about it. No, simply because there's and there's there's two sides to this. The first one is again, it's essentially Web three based assets like stickers or tokens. They are new inventory that you can brand and to deliver. Um, uh, a branding to a fan when he's in an interaction. Um, but that would still be awareness play, you know? I'd still consider that like upper funnel. But as you just said, the interesting thing is that Web3 offers you an additional way into, into the user contact. Because um, when I talked about lower funnel solutions uh, uh, during our podcast, I mean, one thing is, of course, to deliver that through traditional CRM systems, you know, push notifications and apps, sponsored newsletters, uh, maybe personalized content on a website if you're logged in, targeting via ad servers and so on. Now, the Web3 side of that is, is a very elegant one, you know, because as you said, you can use a branded or sponsored token asset um, uh, a sticker asset to actually say, by doing this, dear partner, you're getting a direct access to that fan as long as you follow some rules of brand engagement and brand safety. But essentially, by, by delivering such a sponsorship in the app, um, you could easily think about uh, uh, creating a subset within our community of a community of asset holders of a sponsor. Asset. And I think that's something that um, will unlock so many opportunities. Um, but I think that's also the, dick, the thickest wood to drill because it really requires also a change of mindset with regards to how do I want to play my sponsorship beyond the pure awareness game. Yeah, I guess that is definitely right. I mean, I mean, when we talk to to brands, we see that there is definitely a a need for for conversion for deeper engagement as well on the brand side so so i'm optimistic that that of course this can be learned but but, but of course like it's, it's something new it also needs to be understood uh, uh, and and then explained to to the partners and so on but i think there therein lies really therein lies a lot of opportunity and importantly one that will be much more acceptable to to fans than you talked about like the speculative things that we have seen in yeah. the in the traditional crypto close to crypto web3 market and these will never fly with fans i mean whether whether yeah. you talk about like like a, a crypto club currency traded on an exchange i mean like like in your case at Borussia Dortmund, you're already a publicly traded company, right? I can go and buy stock. So so that is that is one side. But even if you're not, I don't think that that is what the majority of fans want. So so even if yeah. they 
don't care, then it only reaches as a use case a minority. And then when it comes to super expensive, super rare uh, uh, collectibles, a former player of yours, I know one set a record price for for NFT sales on, on so rare. I mean, by definition, if you spend six figure sums, most fans will never be able to to afford this or to take part in this fu fun. Yeah. And also a lot during the hype phase, let's be frank, has been driven by, by creating the expectations that you buy something now and sell it for 10 times the, the exactly. price in a few weeks. And I think there is little substance to it. And so much, much like, I guess it's the, the Borussia Dortmund philosophy. It's, it's, also our philosophy like if you want to create something of substance you need to give value to your user and create something that users really want and that is and, and that is i guess the the next iteration of yep. web3 use cases in sports that will be much more focused on on bringing giving the users what they want absolutely and i think one 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 challenge on the way, but once that's overtaken, that can get really big, is, um, and you just set interoperability. And I think in the moment when companies start, companies that might be partners and sponsors start building their own Web3 infrastructure, then things get really interesting. Because then you can really use a sponsorship and a Web3 platform of the club to deliver a sponsored asset an NFT, a sticker, whatever you want to call it, the token. And you can get that in the club's app and then transfer it and unlock that added value in the ecosystem of the company. Yeah. Because as I said, in the end, what companies also want is first-party data, maybe even more than football clubs, simply because they have to pay much more to get that message across. We have quite still a decent share of organic and viral reach, um, simply because we have our attention. But to really fully unlock, um, you probably need some sort of Web3 infrastructure on the sponsor side as well. But once that is in place, then platforms like yours really offer a great link from converting fans, not only for the club themselves, but also from the club into the ecosystem of the partner. And, and, and even today, I mean, it's probably one side of the product that you haven't been using so far, but of course, everything that, that, that we build is API-based and we have now the first few few parties working j just on the API. So even, even today, if you have a partner who wants to, who wants to integrate with this, even on the wallet level, say say you want to do a simple use case, right? Like here's a part you gave out one of these men of the match day stickers with a partner on top, and now the, the partner has like a few hundred people who own th this asset. Then people can just uh, authenticate the their wallet on the partner side, and all the partner would have to do is use a little a little SDK and talk to an a API which uh, uh, takes probably half an hour to implement. No, no crypto knowledge needed for developers mm. on, on the partner side. And I think that is, again, like, like I, I loved your description of, of uh, the, our product before, where you essentially said people just use it. And, and that is the aim that we aim for on this end. But I think the same goes on this other side of the ecosystem. You, you need to make it easy for brands to implement. They don't want to hire like, like yeah. blockchain developers with, with this certain tech stack to enable it, but it needs to be, it needs to be simple. And that is the pathway where, where we currently are on when it comes to, when it comes to like the interoperability yeah. Out of side. box. Make make it out of the box yeah. as as simple as possible. Yeah. But which usually but yeah. doesn't really go with Web three, right? When you hear Web three or blockchain, you don't usually think one click. You think, oh, I gotta save my seed phrase here, and I have to write it down on 
you know, Absolutely. ink and, and parchment <laughs> and hide it in a cave. Yeah. And write a smart Hence, we don't use Web3 or NFT in our yeah. fans comps anyway. Simply yeah. just because you don't want to uh you don't want to spark you don't want to be uh, like that guy of complexity you don't want to be like the dude from literally where i live i think he's from sindelfingen he's down to like one password attempt left on his bitcoin wallet and he's got like i think a million euros worth of bitcoin yeah you don't want to be like that guy he's down (laughs) to one one more attempt alex and he's from i just have a new example for first world problems (laughs) yeah yeah Indeed. Exactly. I'd love to have his problem. Yeah. Just real quick, Thomas, going back to something you said a while ago, Alex, I had a a funny thought. You said that like with branding, trying to capture the attention of young audiences, it just made me laugh because my stepbrother, he was a Barcelona Barcelona fan for the longest time, had Barca jerseys. And suddenly, I don't know what event happened. He started walking around with PSG jerseys. I have an idea what might have happened. I don't know what it was. You know, it was around the time where Messi wasn't on the team anymore. Anyway, <laughs> mm, they, the follow, right they follow. They follow talent, man. It's yeah. That's how young people are. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but also to give you a, a final, a final anecdote, and you would love to hear this one, Alex. I was just talking to a, to a PR uh, agency guy in the UK, and he said, "Hey, I'm, I'm." usually a fan of another club i think it was tottenham not quite sure um but but my second team is actually borussia dortmund and and then he explained me how he became a fan of borussia dortmund and he said it's the stadium i've never been to signal iduna park but just from watching your international matches it's the best stadium i i've seen and i would love to go there one day and i think that is the that speaks to the power of of football and the emotion that it can create yeah. And and on that note, yeah. No, no, just because it's it's also a nice closing remark. It's that is our key challenge in digital marketing, because um, thank you for that story, but it's really true. It, you you really get the club if you're in that stadium. Ninety fifth minute, winning goal, beer flying around, strange people starting to hug you. And the hair in the uh, in your back is is upwards, and that's and that is something that uh, show me a way to digitalize that. Well, he uh, got it over TV. Think, just uh, saying. So, so he yes, understood but it from you know, but yeah, the real the deal is course. being in the stadium, and that 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 that's really the core challenge, um, and um, that's the daily struggle for those who who can't attend. Unfortunately, it's it's only hey. eighty one thousand. Hey, Alex, when yeah. the metaverse People. is here, you'll be able to digitalize that creepy hug. <laughs> we'll cover that in the next episode. Stay yeah. tuned, cliffhanger. So, yeah. So, Alex, and, any closing thoughts that that you want to share with the people outside there? Um, actually, really, what, what I just said. I mean, it's it's um, the, it is really the core challenge. If you have if you work for a brand, speaking in marketing terms, that is so um, dependent on an offline experience being in the stadium and that's what we always say the ultimate conversion is to get someone into our stadium with an open mind and he'll go out walk out with a black and yellow heart essentially that's the way how it works and that is really the constant challenge how to bring across that 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 feeling uh, in digital channels and um, maybe one of the core 
challenges for digitalization to bring that across. Um, yeah, but we're trying to innovate around that, but I'm a bit skeptical whether we will ever be able to recreate that, even in the metaverse. Yeah, we'll see. It was a pleasure to have you on. We will discuss this topic in the, the, probably the next episode we do yeah. together because, Teaser, I do have thoughts on this one, but uh, no, thank you, you for your time. That's what I loved chatting with you. Yeah. Um, probably I do. Well, no, but it was a pleasure to have you on. I think it was really insightful. Thanks for sharing so, so openly uh, with the audience out there. I hope that the other listeners can take something from it, probably apply a bit of this to their, to their own digital transformation journey out there. And with that said, uh, if you like this here, leave a little rating and a review, five stars, preferably they really help us to get the, the word out and uh, have a One good more afternoon, thing. everyone. Very quick shout out. If you guys are interested, we did launch another podcast. The name of it is Ask a Creator Economist. You can find it at unify.io slash podcast. It'll be in the show notes. And yeah, you can head over there. You can submit questions to us and we answer them live in a podcast format. So we answer creator questions all about marketing growth, a lot of topics that have to do with what we just spoke about. So again, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thomas, thank you for your Thanks time. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you, Alex, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode.